Amen. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Good. Good. Uh, thank you, worship uh, band, for always leading us well. You can always tell just by the way y'all lead and the way your hearts are oriented, um, that you mean what you sing. Um, I want to encourage you. I know we went down this road a little bit, I think. Was it our worship night where we discovered that no one knows how to clap or when to clap or any kind of rhythm? Um, but if, if the Spirit leads you to clap, just be you. We're not going to judge you, um, except for the time y'all started clapping. It was horrible, and then we judged you. And David had to get us literally, David had to save the song by getting back because y'all were so bad at it. But the reason you're so bad at clapping is because you never clap. I, I, you get that, like, y'all you know, just think this moving, like, beautiful, like, amazing grace, and you get that one person just, <laughs> and you just leave it there. It's like, I'm not saying that, like, we're going to do some crazy, like, run-off-the-wall backflip. I don't have the ability to be that charismatic, but there is a huge safe spot between ice face, I can't acknowledge what's being sung about, and me killing a snake. Like, there's a, there's a chasm there that I think we should fall in between. And I encourage you, I encourage you, I will let you know, how about this, I'll let you know when you've gone too far. I will stand up here and be like, okay, that got a little much, that got weird. But until then, just, just do you. And, and, you know, enjoy what we're actually singing. Some of your faces look like you understand what Amazing Grace is. Some of you are like, what up, dog? So, um, I come from a place that has nothing to do with today's sermon. That was free. Um, today we're going to be in John, uh, Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13. Uh, we're only going to be in two verses there. It's going to be verses 34 and 35. Uh, we're continuing our identity series. Um, last week we looked at uh, our, our first our first pillar in our identity uh, and our mission statement, which is love God. Today we're going to look at love others, and then next week we're we're going to talk about making disciples. Um, I hope that this week found you well. I hope that um, some of the things that we, we taught and learned uh, last week kind of seeped into your everyday life. I know uh, as much as I enjoy the Christmas season and Thanksgiving, and then that magical week between. Uh, Christmas and New Year's and the New Year's with the, the aspirations and the, and the positive view on the, everything that can be accomplished. And I love those spots. But as the creature of habit that I am and the person who just needs rhythm and routine, this is the part of the year that I really feel the most safe and secure because we're just getting back to what we are, whether that be in your, your, your family life or your, your, your work life or your church. We kind of we mirror those rhythms. So this week we started family groups back up. Uh, men's Bible study is, is, is getting underway. Women's Bible study will be just around the corner. There's going to be a lot of rhythms that we kind of just find ourselves in. Um, and, and those rhythms are really important, and, and it's really important for us to get back into the work of the church because this is God's plan uh, for, for who you are as a believer. Um, but I never want the, the, rhythm, the rhythm to turn into dogmatic practice, and I don't want you to ever just get in the rhythm of coming to church and it not actually seep into who you are. And I think the best way to guard against that is the identity series, for you to understand who you are and why we do what we do. And that's really uh, our goal here at Trinity Church. And almost everything we do, we try to orient you into stepping into space. 
So you hear me say that a lot. Like, I want you to step into space, whether that be uh, a myriad of ways, whether that be just a conversation, whether that be a shirt you're wearing or a pin you hand out or, or, or a card you hand out or a sweatshirt. None of those things are that powerful, right? None of those things are, are that powerful unless you're willing to follow those up. Unless you wear the sweatshirt and someone says, hey, what's that about? And you step into that space and say, this is what this means. Or the pen, or or the worship night when you invite people to church. All of those things are spirit-oriented opportunities for you to step into space, and that's why we double down in our identity. Because I, I I believe with everything that's in me that if you understand the gospel, if you profess the gospel, and and you get in a place that you're comfortable talking about the gospel, that that will embolden you to step into space. That will embolden you to to say um, to have the conversation. And and what Satan wants you is scared of those spaces. Satan wants you not to step in those spaces. Because you're, you're worried about some deep theological statement or, or questions that can be asked of you. And for the most of the time, people just want to know what you're about and when you meet. I have, I have people at work um, that constantly ask me uh, different questions. And there's, there's this like, hey, he's a pastor. Let's try to stump him. Um, uh, but, uh, and I've told you this before. They, they really do think I'm a theologian uh, because I've, I've, I've settled some very deep theological debates on like, did, did, Moses, well, did Moses get on a boat? No, that was Noah. Are you sure? 100%. Uh, and, yeah. Thank you. Who y'all, who's leading y'all? Um, I'll be writing a book soon. Please buy it. But a lot of times that space, it's just a conversation. They're not looking to stump you. They're not looking for this supernatural, exegetical, just, they just want to know some things that's going on in your life. They want to know what's going on in the church. And, and we all of our opportunity as far as identity and everything we do is for us to embolden. And, and, and a person who's emboldened about their faith shares their faith. And that's ultimately the goal. That, that God's called you to make disciples. I'm not trying to give away the milk for free on tomorrow or next week's sermon. But all of this is because God's called us to live a certain way to bring the lost to the throne of Christ. And, and that's our goal. That, that's, our, that's our mantra. That's our, that's our battle cry is that we want to love God, and through that, we're going to love others. We're going to talk about that a lot today, that you can't do one or the other. You can't say, okay, I've got this love God thing down, loving others a little sketch. That's not how it works, because you don't fully understand what loving God means if you can't love His creation, if you can't love the Imago Dei, if you can't love the people that God's assigned you to minister to, then you need to reflect on, do you actually love God? Do you actually believe what you say you believe? Last week we looked at the Shema, and it showed us that, that in, in the Hebrew time, when, when the nation of Israel did their morning and evening prayer, when they said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord is God. When, when they said that you will love your, your, your Lord with all your heart, soul, and might. When they said that all-encompassing faith loves God, that the word Shema means hear, and it also means act. Because that's what love is. There is no different word in Hebrew that if you're, if you're hearing God and you're acting, you're Shemaim. That there is no difference because they understood that if you actually hear God, you have no choice but to obey. Every time that God's name is corporately professed and you are called to a certain way, you're going to respond. There's going to be a response. It's either going to be in obedience to God's will or disobedience to God's will. But either way, there is a response. That's where we hit up that we love God because we were created to love God. He is our creator, our sustainer, and our savior. That we are, we've been designed by an all-powerful triune God that has called us into a certain way of life. And we, we answer that love with obedience and honor. And through that obedience, we're going to talk about loving others. And I'll be honest with you, it's much harder 
We're going to talk about this earlier, later on as far as just loving others is some of the nastiest, hardest work you're going to be called to do because we're broken. Every one of us is broken. Every one of us has baggage. Every one of us thinks we're unlovable. And it's our job to be the hands and feet of, of Christ to explain you're not unlovable. And I'm going to prove that to you by loving you. We're going to find ourselves in the Gospel of John when, when, when Christ is teaching his disciples on, on how to, to live a life of a, of a calling of Christ. How to live out the Gospel of Christ. How to live out the ministry of grace and the ministry of love. I've temporarily lost my place because my pen fell. And I'm really, really bad at finding my place in the Bible. This is actually like when I wake up in a cold sweat. It's me teaching and not being able to get where I need to get. So bear with me and show me grace and love me. I'm not joking. This is literally like I have cold sweats right now. Not really, but that's because I know everyone in the room. <laughs> All right, so if you would, stand with me. Uh, the passage is going to be behind us. Um, is the John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is what Christ was doing in this passage. is the same thing that Christ did. A majority of his earthly ministry, he's teaching. He's explaining. He's trying to lay out to the... To the disciples what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. This is red letter talk. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You may be seated. I'm going to pray over us. We're going to dive into this and we're going to, we're going to bounce around uh, scripture today trying to, to put this together in different teachings that Christ has laid out for us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to corporately worship and read your word. God, thank you for the time we have as just believers that we've set aside today, um, that we're just going to walk through your scriptures, walk through your teachings. I pray that these teachings latch onto us. I pray that anything that would distract us, you extract. God, I pray that for the next few minutes, we just solely focus on your words for your way. Amen. Like I said, you see Christ here um, doing what he did a lot. Christ's uh, main job on earth was trying to re, re, reaffirm and, and uh, redefine messianic expectations. So one of the reasons you see such a large pushback um, when Christ hits the earth in his earthly ministry, people just had different expectations of what that would look like. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted someone that was going to lay waste to Rome with power and force and brutality. They were tired of being conquered people. They were tired of being slaves. They were tired of being told what to do by a ruling faction that did not care about their God. And when Christ came, they wanted him on a horse and they wanted him with a sword. And so the first thing that he does is enter in this world as a baby and off to a bad start as far as their expectations. They want a conquering hero. They want the ability to rally behind their new David, their new Saul. They wanted a warrior prince, and instead they got a humble savior. So a lot of what he did throughout his ministry is just redefine that and explain that, that the Old Testament law was just a shadow of what was to come, but it wasn't a continuation of, of pragmatic and dogmatic law, but it was a relationship with God. That he had come to bridge the gap between the sinner and the creator, and he was going to atone for the sin of the entire world. And with that atonement and with that grace, the game was going to change. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He came on to say that, Yes, Old Testament, there were laws and, and circumstances and, and uh, 
requirements that were very much just cut and dry. Like you, you, you sin this way, you atone this way. You, you have these rules and these practices. And it was very cold and harsh. And it had built up this like autocracy of, of religion where all you had to do is just check off the box of things you were supposed to do and you found yourself or you thought yourself was to be in good favor of God. But what Christ was here to say is, I'm actually holding you to a higher standard now. I'm actually laying things out that, yes, I want you to love God, but if you actually love God, you're going to love others. And he's laying that out, and he says, I have, I have a new commandment that I give to you, that you're to love one another, just as I have loved you. That's, a, that's an extremely high bar, because Christ loved us to the point of torture and death. Christ loved us so much that he exposed himself to, to human pain, human sorrow, to, to suffering, to flogging, to bleeding, to scars, to pain, and to death on a cross. That is love. You see it uh, poured out in, in different ways. We see in John 15, uh, that he, 13, that he talks about no greater love than thou who lays down his life for a friend. That if you are actually uh, uh, professing love for someone else, that you love them to the point of death, that you would, you would lay down yourself for them. You also see in Matthew 22 where he says, love them as yourself. It's an even higher bar. Honestly, Christ kind of used our selfishness against us. He said, I want you to love them so much just as you, and there's no one that loves you like you love you. There's no one that's going to put your interests to the very top of the priority like you. Like we are broken, selfish people, and he used that in the best way to explain how he wanted people to live, but to say, treat these people like they're actually you. Put their interests ahead of you. Put their needs ahead of yours. And that is love. And then he goes by, down and says, and this is how people are going to know you're my disciple. And that should hit us where we live. Because that's the litmus test, right? That, that we are known to be the child the sons and daughters of God. That we, we are child of God under the idea of do you love like God's called you to love? Because that, that hurts. Because that's how people are going to know you. And if you haven't loved like God's called you to love, then people aren't going to know you to be his disciples. And that hurts. Because we've gotten in 2020 where no one can tell us how to live, no one can hold us accountable, no one can tell us we're wrong, that you can say, hey, you're not loving like God's calling you to love. And you're like, yeah, I yeah, am, bro, you don't know my heart. You don't know what's in me. You don't know the love I have internally for this person. Uh, it may not show itself or manifest itself in works or actions, but you don't know my heart, bro. Like, there's been some heresy and horrible theology taught along the way to get us into a, uh, a, a comfort level that does not exist inside the kingdom of God where, where Christ says, if you love like you're supposed to love, the whole world will know you are mine. And if the whole world doesn't know that you are mine, you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, am I loving like I've been called to love? Because we've gone through, we've gone time and time again when James talks about, if you show me, you show me faith with no works, I'm going to show you a dead faith. And that, that's, a, that's a, a parent in here when he says, you are called to love, and without that love, I don't know who, whose disciples you are, but you're not mine. Because there is no way you can differentiate the love of God, loving God and loving others. Because in every command in the New Testament where he says, love your God, it is followed by love others. He wants you to know that in every ounce of your body, what you've been called to as, as a believer in, in, in the gospel of Christ, a New Testament church, that loving God is in your foundational core because it is a direct command from your creator, your sustainer, and your savior. And the next, 
I feel like last week was such an easy, like, not layup. Like, every sermon, I try, like, I talk myself in and out of, like, I'm prepared enough or I'm not. And then I talk myself into, like, no, I'm not prepared. And I have, like, a mental little, like, freak out two minutes before I come up here. And then, I, like, then it just works. That's, that's my process. My process is just many panic attacks. That's how I lead y'all. Like, I just wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just like, how is this person doing? It'd be weird if I called them right now. But I'm just going to pray over them. Or how's this person doing? I'm going to text them. Um, and I think some of that I've learned lately, that's just what being a pastor is. Constantly worrying about the people that you call your flock. Um, but last week I felt like that was an easy sell. Because you're like, you should love God. And like most of your looks were like, yeah, we showed up on Sunday morning, Tim. We kind of get that. But then when you go, and you should love others, you're like, I do love others, the ones that are nice and pretty. But some people suck, Tim, and I don't love them because they suck. And I'm the first one to tell you, people do suck. You're one of them, and we are all broken. There's someone here that thinks you suck, and that's hard. To, that's hard. To, like, that's hard. Because I suck too. We all suck together. And guess what? If you're there thinking that you're the one, like, I'm talking to somebody else, you suck the most. Like, if you're there being like, he is clearly talking about them. No, I'm talking about you. You, at your best, you suck. We are broken. We are trespassers. Our, our very breath is in disobedience to God. The only hope we have for, for, Christ, for God to look at us through the lens of, of salvation is through the blood of Christ. So, yeah, love others. And loving others in light of their suckiness gets messy. Because we are not called to love pretty people that have clean lives that think and look like us and keep their baggage hidden where we want it. How you doing? Doing great. Falling apart at the seams. Can't keep my head above water, but I can fake it for this hour. Those people are easy to love. It'll ultimately lead to, dis- it'll ultimately lead to destruction of that person and the church, but they're really easy to love because you don't have to do anything for them. Where it gets really hard to love them is they say, how you doing? I'm falling apart. And you're like, bro, this is the moment where you say good. And now you're letting me in and I don't want to know because you suck. And I suck enough for both of us and I don't need your problems. But that's, that's why the commandment of loving God and loving others are synonymous because it's hard and you need the love of God to love others. Because you have to understand what you are in light of that God so you can love others. Or you're just going to walk around with self-righteous indignation of thinking, man, everyone around me sucks. Everyone around me is great. I know the grace of God and I need it. I don't need as much as them, but I do need it. And, and we have this misunderstanding of love. We have this misunderstanding of biblical community. And we just like frolic in this superficial, faith, faithless church that's destroying America. Because we don't understand that the God we serve has called us to love others because that's the only way we can survive. That's the only way this church will survive. There's no way biblical community actually exists. Why do we love others? Simply put, they're made in the image of God. I love the Imago Dei doctrine. I love it because it is the absolute king's X on any supremacy, any idea that you're better than anyone, any idea that this race or this nationality or this thought process or this political party, whatever crap you've told yourself to make you think that you suck less than the next person, the Imago Dei actually blows it out of the water and says every human under the face of the earth, every cre- ever created was made in the image of God. And through that lens, it should change your entire concept of humanity. Because the person that you're talking noise about, the person that you're hoping fails, was made in the image of God. God. James 3, 9 says, with it, and James is talking about because of our heart, 
Our tongues are just like snake serpents because of our heart, how we view others. We're broken and we're sinful and we're lashing out. James 3 says that with it we bless the Lord our Father and with it we curse the people made in His likeness. So he's saying with your heart you, you, you praise God, but with your heart you curse man, which means you don't understand God and you're not praising Him. And I know some of this is really hard to hear because the love God was so beautiful and angelic and Yes, Tim, we want to love God. The Shema was beautifully written, and it's something that we could actually memorize and, and apply. But loving others costs you something. We, we learn throughout the scriptures that love costs you something. If love hasn't cost you something, then it's not love. That, that love causes, causes you to act. That, that love transcends your needs for the needs of others. That you say, despite what I want, despite what I need, despite what would be best for me, because of the love of this person, I'm going to forsake that and do what God's called me to do. I know I'm really bad uh, about, not. I don't hate you, so I must love you, right? Like, I don't want bad things for you. I may not love you, but I'm not openly trying to, like, sabotage you. And we confuse that sometimes with biblical love, that we just coexist really well together. And you need to hear that a coexisting together, one, is not love. And more, more importantly, it's not biblical community. Biblical community is saying, I don't want to coexist. I want to laugh with you. I want to cry with you. I want to hurt with you. And no matter what happens, I'm not looking away. Paul writes in Philippians where we do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. And, and some of that's easy for us to say, but, but in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. Okay, that gets a little harder. Um, but look at the interest of others instead of the interest of yourself. Okay, that gets really hard. So do nothing out of selfish ambition. Okay, I have not openly thwarted any of you. So I think I may have checked that I've done nothing out of selfish ambition in, in regards to our, our friendship. But do nothing out of conceit. Conceit where 2020 shines because social media is, is designed for conceit. Go for what conceit means in this biblical terms means I'm not going to do anything to make you fail, but when you fail, I'm getting my popcorn. When you fail, when you set this goal, when, when, when tragedy hits you because of how much I don't like or love you, when tragedy hits you, I'm going to get this they had it coming scenario. Where I'm not going to come alongside and love you through it, come alongside and pull you up, help you get to the place I want you to be because of the love I have for you. I'm going to say, you got what was coming to you. Sit there and revel in it. And Paul knows that that's where we're at because the, the church of Philippi was doing the same thing that Trinity Church does. They were just coexisting and they were calling it biblical community. They were existing in this beautiful thing that as long as I don't have to actually bear your burden, I'll pray for your burden. But if you're not willing to actually carry their burden, then the, the lip service you say during prayer is just wasted time. And the only person you're actually lying to is yourself. Christ sets the bar high where he says, love others as I've loved you and love others more than you love yourself. There is no higher bar than loving someone to the point where you, you would give your life for them and love them to the point where your interests just fall to the wayside. We have lost the, the, the meaning of love and thus we've lost the ability to love. If you don't understand that love is action and, and love costs you something, then you can never actually love someone because you, you're, you're deprived of the word. And this is God's plan to change the world that we love in the face of adversity, in the face of tragedy, in the face of sin, in the face of this and that we love. And we don't love to sin. Love is not tolerating sin. 
2020 will teach you that love is tolerating sin. I'm going to love you, so I'm going to let you live any way you want. You can walk in open rebellion. You can live a life contrary uh, to the teachings of Christ. But I'm going to love you, so that means I'm not going to say anything awkward to you. That's not love. That's idolatry. Love is saying, I love you so much, I want to protect you from the pitfalls of sin. I love you so much that if you're going to walk in open rebellion, you're going to walk over my body in open rebellion. Then I'm going to stand firm in the truth of Christ Jesus and the gospel that he professes. And I'm going to love you till it hurts. And sometimes love is just sitting in a room, not having a clue what to say, and saying you're not going to cry alone. Trinity Church is beautiful when it comes to loving people through tragedy. I've sat in rooms with you completely devoid of anything I could, I don't know what to say. My grandfather uh, uh, planted a church in, I don't, can't do math. He did it 57 years ago until God called him home. So he, he planted a church um, with 12 people and uh, through the faith of, of um, just, just walking the, the course quickly and, and, and ultimately turned into thousands of people in this church. So he took it from 12 and faithful steward God's will. And I asked him time and time again, hey, I'm planting a church too. And uh, you're actually looking like pretty chill now. And it was like the storms are kind of over. And he said, dude, the key to loving people as a pastor is simple. When, when they're broken and they're hurting, just don't blink or look away. And you're like, that's not simple. That's the hardest, most awkward thing you can do. He goes, that's love. Love is awkward. Love is hard. There's going to be a time when you're a pastor that you're going to have to sit in front of people and, and you're going to pray that the Spirit gives you the words and the, and the Spirit may or may not give you the perfect words. But what the Spirit will do will settle your soul, let you sit there and just look and say, hey, you're not hurting alone, you're not walking alone, you're not crying alone. Whether we laugh or whether we cry, we're doing it together. And that is love. That is biblical community. That's what Trinity Church has to offer Oak Cliff. That's what Trinity Church has to offer the city of Dallas. And that's what the city of Dallas, that's what this nation needs. A, a biblical community oriented around love. For those of you that are new or aren't plugged in, biblical community is not something you will ever find. Biblical community is something you create. You are never going to walk into a situation and us high-five you, chest bump, and now you just feel home. That is superficial. That doesn't exist. Biblical community is you walk in and we give you a chest bump. We say, hey, come eat bread with us. Come let us know what your pains are. Let me know what you're struggling with, what your sin is. I want to walk alongside you. I want to pray over you. I want to make sure you have what you need. I want to make sure that, that, that your pitfalls uh, that I'm standing in the way of, I want to make sure that, that I'm there when you celebrate, when you get an award, when, you, when something good happens to you. I want to be there for you. That's biblical community, but that is created. That is not found. Lastly, we need to be the truth that this, this, this culture needs. So we're fractured beyond understanding in America. I, I, I don't, and I honestly, this isn't a political thing, but 2020 is going to be political. There's no way. There's no way you're going to be able to, you could turn off every social media, you could do everything. It's just, it's going to find its way into your life. It's very political. But hear this. I could not care less who you vote for. I care who you serve. I do not care your, your political affiliations. I care that you walk in the will of God. But here's the truth about the people God's called you to minister. They do not care about the God you serve until they feel the love that God's called you to live. The people in your life do not care about the God you serve until they feel the love He's called you to profess. The, the way that we change this world for the better of Christ, the way that we bring the, our friends and family that are lost to the throne of Christ, 
is that we love them unconditionally. We love them as Christ loved the church. We love them more than we love ourselves. That is the plan of how we, we spread the gospel of Christ to this broken world. And 2020 is going to be hard because you're going to say one thing and it's going to polarize 50% of everyone, right? Like I could say five or six pretty, pretty straightforward sentences and I could polarize this entire room. Because that's just where we are. We've lost the ability to respectfully disagree. We've lost the ability to um, have our own opinions without them being contrary to others. And I'm telling you, the best way to navigate the political minefield that will be 2020 is to do so, do so with biblical love and truth. And to say, I'm just here to love you. I don't care you vote for it. I don't care what news station. I don't care you follow on Twitter. I just care who you call king. I'm going to pray over us, uh, and then our, our worship team is going to come back up and lead us out with us going. I pray that this week uh, we are constantly reminded that if we love God, we have to love others. And love is an action. Love is not simply an emotional response. Love is not a Nicholas Sparks book, but love is an action. It is a doing. It is a giving. It is a sacrifice. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of your scripture. Thank you for showing us and embodying love. I pray that we feel your love and that we pass on your love. I pray that whoever's hurting knows that they are not alone. And whoever's joyful know that we, we're here for the mountaintops and the valleys. God, I pray all things in your name. Amen.